Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. I wouldn't normally bring my coffee, but uh, I figured since Scott said what he said, you guys might show me some grace, because this is boy number three, and our oldest is not even five yet. We might be crazy. I don't know. We'll see. Well, good morning. I'm excited to be here uh, on graduation Sunday. And so when Alan asked me if I wanted to preach graduation Sunday, agreed. I always am thankful for the opportunity to preach. Um, but I thought, what, what should I preach on graduation Sunday? And, and I really thought, okay, I want to preach about the gospel. Because whether you're a graduate from high school going into college or whether you're a college graduate going into the workforce or whether you're 65 years old and you're about to retire or you are retired and you got grandkids, I want to tell people to have a gospel-centered life. And so I was wrestling through that and I was like, okay, I could preach John 3.16, that would be a good one. Maybe Ephesians 2, it's one of my favorite passages. Uh, and then I thought, well, hey, why don't I offer to continue in the Colossians study? And so I told Alan, hey, if you want me to, I'll preach the next sermon in Colossians. And he said, okay, let me look at the text and see where you would be at and then you can go from there. And so this morning we're in Colossians chapter 1 verses 21 to 23 and God's providence is all over this sermon preparation because this text is the gospel and I'm excited. And so this text is, you know, last week we were talking about the preeminence of Christ. Alan talked, uh, preached through uh, verses 15 through 20, talking about the preeminence of Christ, the supremeness of Jesus. The fact that Jesus Christ is sovereign over all the world and sovereign over our redemption, sovereign over the church. And then we come to this passage and he's dealing with the Colossian believers. He's dealing with believers in general. And so in this passage, He's talking to us. And so Alan does a great job of context, giving us an understanding of what this letter is, who's writing it, why they're writing it, all of those things. And so just to recap a little bit, this letter was written by Paul and Timothy. Warning, I'm gonna say Paul the whole time. I probably won't mention, mention Timothy, sorry, Timothy. Um, but they're writing from prison. And so they're in prison, but they've heard about this church that they know and love in Colossae and they're struggling. They're struggling with some false teaching. There's lies been infiltrating the wrong things about Jesus. I can yell if I need to, we'll see. So that's where we're at. And so that's what brings us to our passage and text this morning, verses 21 to 23. And as we look at this, the preeminence of Christ leading into him talking about who believers were, who they are, what's happening to them and what will happen to them. I think it's paramount for us as a church to know and celebrate the truth about Jesus. That's what Paul and Timothy are trying to do with the Colossians, right? That he's, they're teaching them, hey, you've shifted away from the truth about who Jesus is. Let's bring you back. Let's teach you about and remind you about the truth of who Jesus is from what you have been taught and let's celebrate that. And so I think it's paramount for us as a church to celebrate the truth about Jesus. 
We confront lies every single day about who Jesus is and what implications Jesus has for our life. And so let's find ourselves in the truth. Let's be living for the gospel. Let's beware of becoming callous to the gospel. If you don't know anybody that's callous to the gospel, maybe you are, I don't know, but it's, it's easy for us, people who are living kind of in this Christian community per se, a lot of people go to church, it's normal to go to church, but it's easy for us to say, well, yeah, I heard the gospel when I was a little kid, I was raised in a Christian home, I became a believer, and now I've just been in church my whole life, and what's the difference? Well, I don't know anything apart from that, but does the gospel of Jesus Christ make a difference in your daily life? And so I want to just warn us of becoming callous to the gospel. So let's jump in here. Colossians chapter one, verses 21 to 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray together. Father God, this morning I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach the word. God, I'm thankful for Dr. Price's leadership in preaching, his faithful exposition of your word each and every week. And God, I pray that this morning as I try to communicate and build a bridge between Paul and Timothy writing to the church in Colossae, build a bridge to where we are at Beaver Dam this morning. And I pray that we would be encouraged, that we would be motivated. And God, ultimately, I pray that we would be excited about the good news of Jesus. And God, this morning, as, as I speak, God, I pray that anything that I say that is not worthy of you would be forgotten. God, but everything that I say that is truth and honoring to Christ would sit deeply on our souls. God, build us up this morning. Help us to know who we are and how we are to live for you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, this morning I've got four points for you. I'm going to give you all of them up front, so don't check out as soon as I do. But if you need to leave, that's okay, because I'm going to give you them at the beginning. So here we go. The first point I've got for you today is who you were. The second one is who you are. The third one is what will happen. And then the fourth one is what is happening. And then later on, I'm going to break down three uh, points of application for us. And so as Paul is writing to the Colossians, he's telling them who they were, who they are, what will happen to them and what is happening to them right now. And so you got kind of a past, present, future of the Christian life. And so let's look at that. Uh, first, who you were. He says right there in verse 21, you were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Have you ever been to a place where no one speaks your language? Nobody. I know a lot of times we, in our community in Knoxville, you know, we'll see somebody that doesn't speak English, but usually 
everybody else around does speak English, and we're like, well, that's kind of rude. They're not speaking our language. Like, they should learn English. But have you ever been somewhere where nobody speaks your language? I, I have been fortunate to, to go to foreign countries several different times. When I was 17 years old, I got to go on a, on a school trip to Europe. We went to France and Spain, and then I've been on several mission trips as well. And every time, I always find myself alone with people that don't speak my language without an interpreter. I don't know how that happens, but it always happens. And, and when you're in that situation, you're in that place and you're like, I really want to communicate something with you, but I don't know your language. And you feel left out, right? You feel isolated. You feel like an exile. That's exactly who we are apart from Christ. We are exiles. We're alienated. We're separated from God. We're told all throughout scripture that we have all sinned, that because of the sins of Adam in the garden, we are infected with sin. And so all of us, if you're a human, and hopefully you are, that's not what he means by alienated. We are sinful people. We're born with sin. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul in Romans right before that, in chapter three, verse 10, he says, none is righteous, not even one. We are sinful people. And if you are a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, that's who you were. You were alienated, you were exiled, you were separated from God, destined for eternal wrath. And so, the greatest problem of humanity is sin, brokenness. We live in a broken world. We live amongst sinful, broken people. So that's who you were, who you are. Verse 22, he says that you are reconciled. You are reconciled to God in his body of flesh in order to present it, be presented holy and blameless and above reproach. You're reconciled. And that's good news this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been reconciled. We've all been in conflicts. We've all been in situations, maybe it's even family, where you've got two people arguing, fighting. You have some kind of issue, and we're not talking anymore. We're done. And by the grace of God, sometimes we're able to reconcile those relationships, right? Sometimes we're able to come back and say, hey, I was wrong, or you were wrong, and I want you to tell me you're wrong, and now let's make up. That's reconciliation. And in Christ, we are able to be reconciled to a holy God. Last week, Alan talked about Christ's preeminence in creation, and he also talked about his preeminent redemption. In Christ alone, we are able to have redemption, this reconciliation. We are orphans who have been adopted into the family of God, and that can only take place by the blood of Jesus. For the unbeliever, this is not who you are. In a room like this, we can pretty much deduce there's someone in this room that doesn't know the Lord Jesus. And if you don't, if you are not a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, this is not who you are. You are still alienated. You are still in exile. You are still separated from God. And only by the blood of Jesus as Paul says, bearing reconciliation in his body of flesh and death on the cross, that's, only, that's the only way you can be made right with God. 
And so, believers, you were alienated, exiled, hostile in mind. You are reconciled to God. That is good news. Now, what will happen? Verse 22, I already read it. Presented holy and blameless, above reproach. We're all going to die. That's the reality. It's something we can't get out of. We spend most of our lives trying to figure that out. I just turned 30, so I'm understanding, hey, now I'm 30. All right, I got to start thinking about my health a little bit. Usually we don't do that in our 20s, so maybe they're not trying not to die. But we, who are getting a little bit older, spend our lives, we're doing the vitamins, we're going to the doctor, we're trying to figure it out, we're trying to eat right, all those things. But the reality is you're going to die. We're all going to die. It's, it's, a, it's a disease we can't get out of. There's no cure. Death is imminent. It's the reality. This past year, dealing with this pandemic, we've all seen people or heard stories about people who had loved ones who died suddenly. And it's so sad. But it's the curse for all humanity. Whether it's today in a car accident or in 50 years from cancer or old age in your sleep, we're all going to die. And when we die, we will be face to face with the holy creator God of the universe. And I am thankful that in Christ, there's reconciliation. If you are in Christ Jesus, when you stand before your creator, you will be presented as holy and blameless above reproach. All the wicked and evil deeds that you've done, all the bad thoughts that you've thought, all the times you didn't do what you were supposed to do, he will look at you and he will see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because in Christ, his righteousness is put onto us. And that is good news. Apart from Christ, the charge against those who die will be as enemies, as exiles. And so, apart from Christ, those who die will be forever exiled from God subject to his holy, just wrath. And they'll deserve it because they're enemies, because they hate God, because they've rejected the good news of Jesus Christ. But the good news is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a free gift. Salvation is offered freely through Christ. So unbelievers, in the room, repent and believe the good news of Jesus because you will stand before a holy and just God. So who you were, believers, you were alienated, hostile, exiled. Who you are is reconciled. What will happen is when we die, we will be presented as holy and blameless before our creator. And what is happening now is what Paul addresses in verse 23. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, steadfast and stable, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, if you continue. This is something that, that we struggle with when we hear that word, if. You know, many of us might think, well, Paul's saying that we can lose our salvation. And we know because we've been in the church for, for a long time, you can't lose your salvation. 
And so what is he saying? Paul actually implies the positive here in the Greek. It doesn't translate well in the English, but in the Greek, he's saying, if, basically he's saying, if you continue in the faith, and I know you will, it's pretty much what he's saying. But there's still that if. And so if you are actually covered by the blood of Jesus, God will hold you fast. But are you really saved? Are you truly saved? We live in a world of lies and deception, and the reality is our own minds can lie and deceive us. And so we see big name Christian authors, speakers, musicians who have been influences on our lives who come out and say, you know what, I'm not a believer anymore. I don't believe in God anymore. What do we do with that? I think a couple things. I think we can say one, maybe they were falsely converted. Maybe their minds were lying to them. They didn't really believe in Jesus. They were kind of putting on a show, thinking that they were believers in Jesus Christ, but they never really were. They never submitted their lives to his authority. But I think we can also say, potentially, they're temporary apostates. They're temporarily walking away from God. And by the grace of Jesus, God's going to pull them back at some point. And so when you see these people who are walking away from the faith, even if it's someone in your family, maybe, someone who is walking away from the faith, someone that you know, hey, I remember when they said that they believed in Jesus. I remember when they got saved. But their life doesn't reflect it. Pray for that person. Plead with the Lord that he would bring them back. That he would bring them back into the family. And so if you continue in your faith, I think that Paul is telling us to continue in our faith for sure. But I think that if, we need to take that and say we should never take our salvation for granted. We're told in scripture we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're given evidence throughout Scripture of what it looks like when you're truly saved, right? Paul gives us the fruit of the Spirit. We hear often, even in James, I was reading this past week in James, and he says, you show me your faith by telling me about your faith, but I show you my faith by works. And so do we have works? We're not saved by works, but works is a result of our faith. And so does your faith result in anything? We should never take our salvation for granted. So what's happening now to us as believers, if you are in Christ, you are being sanctified. Sanctification is this big term that sometimes when people hear it, they say, oh, I don't know what that means, so I'm just going to ignore that. But sanctification is simply a process of becoming more like Christ. And so if you are a believer in Jesus, from the time that you were justified to the time that you die, you are being sanctified. You are growing to be more like Jesus in this process. And you should be growing. And that's what Paul is telling us to do. He's saying, continue in the faith. Be steadfast and firm in your faith. So we are in this process of becoming more like Christ. This process is done by the Holy Spirit within you, but we have a part to play. Beware of lazy faith. It's easy to do. It's easy for us to get into ruts and seasons of life when we have so much going on in our lives outside the walls of the church that the church and our Christian life just becomes happenstance. 
Just commonplace. Just walk in, hear the sermon, hear the music. That's filling me up. I'm going to leave and I'm not going to interact with anybody from my church body. And I'm not going to think on the things of God until next week when I come back and I can get filled back up again. Don't let it happen. Don't be lazy in your faith. Lean in. Be steadfast and firm, not shifting. This term, not shifting, that Paul uses, it reflects uh, Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus talks about the wise and foolish builder. He talks about them building the house on the sand or the house on the rock. And Jesus uses the same terminology there. And so Paul is telling the Colossian church to build their lives on the rock-solid foundation of the gospel. With the gospel as your foundation, you are equipped to weather in. You are equipped to weather all things, sickness, pain, death in your family, lies, false teachers, right? Paul is talking to this church in Colossae who's being infiltrated by false teachers. He's saying, stead fast, stand firm, not shifting the rock solid foundation of the gospel. We can weather the storms of false teachers throwing things our way. We can weather the storms of betrayal from family and loved ones. We can weather any storm with the gospel of Christ as our foundation. Here's a little bit. Let's talk about some application from this passage. I've got three points of application this morning. Be reminded, be growing, and be rooted. So be reminded of the gospel. You, as a believer in Jesus Christ, need to be preaching the gospel to yourself daily. Oftentimes, we can get into this, this mindset of, well, the gospel is something that we use to win people into Christianity. It's something that we use to tell people, to, for people to believe in Jesus and be converted. And that's absolutely true. We need to be proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth, but you as a believer need to be preaching the gospel to yourself every single day. You need to be reminded of who you were. You need to be reminded that you were an enemy of God, hostile in mind, an exile, destined for wrath. Paul calls us children of wrath in Ephesians chapter two. You need to be reminded that that is who you were so that you can revel in the grace of Jesus Christ, that you are reconciled, that you are made right with God, that you are redeemed because you can't do that to yourself. When we think about the story of Lazarus, I love that story because it gives a picture and Lazarus is laying in the tomb. He's been there for a few days and Jesus with a word says Lazarus get up and come forth and Lazarus walks out of the tomb a dead man they knew he was dead they said Jesus don't go near the tomb he smells really bad don't go and this dead guy got up and walked out which one of us would say Lazarus got himself up Lazarus woke himself up Lazarus revived himself we would not say that Christ alone is able to bring the dead to life. And it's true in your life. You were dead in sin. Now you are alive in Christ. And Christ alone 
can do that. So be reminded of the good news of Jesus Christ. Be growing, be growing in faith and hope. Be sanctified, be walking in this process of becoming more like Jesus. Later in this book, this letter of Paul's and Timothy's, I remembered him that time, chapter three, verses one through three, he starts talking about sanctification a little bit. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things of this earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Are you setting your mind on the things that are above? Are you setting your mind on Christ? Are you reminded of the gospel? Are you growing in the gospel? Are you growing in this faith and hope in this practice of faith? Are you growing in the fruit of the spirit? Are you growing? Are you growing? I'm gonna borrow a quote from John Piper. He's a pastor, preacher, theologian. He's written more books than I've probably ever read. And uh, he talks about growing in the gospel. And he talks about a gospel-centered church, but I think it's, it's helpful for us in our lives as well. He says, if our church, if you are growing in the gospel, you will be God-exalting, Christ-admiring, spirit-filled, Bible-enjoying, grace-preaching, convenience-defying, cross-embracing, risk-taking, selfish-crucifying, gossip-silencing, prayer-saturated, future-thinking, and outward-reaching. Do these things describe your life? Do these things describe the way you make decisions in your life? Do these things describe the way you handle good news and bad news? Do these things describe the way you treat strangers, the way you treat your family? Do they describe our church? We need to be growing in the gospel. Finally, be rooted, be rooted in the gospel. Paul talks about not shifting, but standing firm and steadfast. Many here could probably give me a synopsis of what the gospel is. You could probably tell me maybe you've been through uh, some evangelism training or something like that, Romans Road or Evangelism Explosion was something that was very popular several years ago. Um, but are you rooted in the gospel? Sure, you can maybe give me a summary. You can tell me, well, Jesus died for our sins and he rose again after three days in the grave. But can you tell me that you are rooted in the gospel? In a world of constant change and shifting, it's easy for us to get sidetracked. It's easy for us to wander away from God. Never forget your propensity to wander from God. The hymn writer says it well, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave this God I love. Never forget that. Be rooted in the gospel. The Colossian church probably wasn't planning on being swayed by false teaching about Jesus. Nobody ever really plans that, hey, we're going to start this church, we're going to be great, we're going to win people to Christ, we're going to be growing, we're going to be maturing, making and maturing believers. But in about three years, we're going to start letting some people in that teach some weird stuff, and then we're going to have like a whole different religion. That's not a plan. You don't write that down when you're thinking, hey, this is what we want to be about. But subtle shifts, subtle change, 
They brought somebody in and that person was a charismatic speaker and they were enjoying their teaching. And just little by little, they started to hear things. And well, I respect this guy and he's saying this, I think I believe him. How easy is it for us to shift our focus? And it's easy for us to point fingers at the Colossians, but how many in our own culture claim Christ but don't live it out? How many people right here in halls say, I'm a believer, I grew up in church, but they don't live out the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you following the biblical Jesus? Does your life give evidence to the preeminence of Christ and the beauty of the gospel? If Jesus never existed, would your life look any different? Would your neighbors know the difference? Would your coworkers know the difference? Would your family look any different? Would the way you spend your time or your money or the way you use your gifts and abilities, would it look any different if Jesus never existed? Does the gospel hold sway in your life? I told Mac this morning, the last time I preached, uh, I told everybody, one of the first things that somebody told me, if you want everybody to enjoy your sermon, you got to finish early. And I told him, I was like, I'm not going to do that today. But the second thing they've told me, you got to show cute pictures of your kids. So here's a picture. My kids are mowing and they're weed eating. They love lawn mowers. They love yard work. They love landscaping. They want to be landscapers. I'm like, hey, I'm going to put y'all to work and y'all are going to make us some money in a couple years. But whenever you talk about weed eaters or lawnmowers or construction work, or if we say, hey, we're gonna drive by Home Depot or Lowe's so you guys can just look out the window and see the lawnmowers, their faces light up. Their faces light up and they're so excited. We can be talking about anything. We can be talking about the most mundane things and they'll try to infiltrate the conversation with a conversation about, hey, you want, where's your, where's your lawnmower? Do we need to go get it? Do we need to go get your lawnmower out? You, no, I mowed yesterday. Like, why do we need to get it out? They will infiltrate the conversation. How often are you excited about the gospel? Does your face light up when you hear about Jesus? Do you try to infiltrate conversations with the truth about Jesus Christ? How often do we just have a conversation with another believer about how good Jesus is? Are you rooted in the gospel? As we close, I want to read a quote from a, a Puritan, Thomas Wilcox. He wrote a short book called A Drop of Honey from the Rock of Ages. And the subtitle to that book is A Word of Advice for Saints and Sinners. He says, if you're a professor of the Christian faith and a partaker in the ordinances of the church, you do well, for they are glorious privileges but if you have not the blood of Christ at the root of your profession, then your profession will wither and prove to only be a cheap decorative suit to wear as you enter into hell. Look over your soul daily and ask, where is the blood of Christ to be seen upon my soul? What righteousness is it that you stand upon to be saved? Nothing can kill sin but the blood of Christ. For all believers here, are you reminded? Are you growing? 
And are you rooted? How do you know that you're saved? What assurance do you have? Do you have a date written in the front of your Bible? This is the day that I gave my life to the Lord. If that's the only assurance that you have, I want to encourage you to evaluate your life. Or is your assurance the gospel? The spotless lamb crucified for our souls? Is your assurance the blood of Jesus and the evidence you're growing fruitfulness in the gospel? When you face the turbulence of this broken world, whether that's a a colleague that hates God, or that's a family member who's wandered from God and doesn't want to talk about the things of God, whether that's a sudden death of a loved one or an unexpected diagnosis from your doctor or betrayal of a loved one, what will you cling to? My prayer for us this morning is that we would each and every one of us cling to the cross of Christ, the hope of the gospel, that we would stand firm, hold fast, unshifting from the good news of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, this morning I stand in awe of your faithfulness and majesty. I'm thankful for this local body of believers. I'm thankful for a pastor who faithfully preaches your word each week. God, I pray that each of us would be excited about the gospel. I pray that we would be a church that is consumed by the beauty of Christ and that our homes, our places of work, our community would reflect our love of the gospel. May we see lives changed because Jesus in this room is changing people. I pray that people in this room are ready and willing to talk about the good news of Christ. May we see the making and maturing of believers. I pray that we would be sanctified, that we would be growing in our knowledge and understanding of who you are, that we would have a deep love for your word. God, that we would fight the battles that come our way in life and confront those things on our knees in prayer. God, may we never grow callous to the beautiful truths of scripture and to the hope that we have in Christ. God, mold us and shape us. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.